for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is May 31st, 2022, and today's guest is Heath Sisko. All right, welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today's episode is 220. We've got Heath Sisko back on the podcast, return guest, and uh, one of my favorites of all time because I've learned so much from Heath. I've looked up to this guy for a long time, and uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. And I said it on Friday's podcast, like this could be the best podcast I've ever recorded. If not, it's close, just because... When Heath starts talking, and ge- I geek out, like I geek out on all the information, and 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 I just find questions that I, like I selfishly want to know, and then he answers them to a T, and I learn. Like it's it's crazy. So today's podcast is a good one. Um, I got some partner reads here real quick before we do get into it. Exodus Trail Cams, they're doing their seven year anniversary sale right now. You know, if you go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And you can, you know, look at anything in their store, their new merch, their Exodus Render Cell Cam, their SP18 and the Render SP18 bundle. Type in year seven and you get 20% off. That sale is running from May 20th to June 13th. So it's it's almost up. We're, uh, we're coming down to the wire here. You got a couple more weeks, but, you know, you keep putting things off. Don't put it off. Do not put it off. Go down there and, and, uh, check everything out that they got and uh, I'm going to tell you right now their cameras are they're badass they're dynamite they they are second to none in my opinion and it's probably like oh yeah he you know he's partnered with them he's paid to say that I don't care what you say I've used these cameras for a couple years now 
I have yet to have one issue. I do have some brands of cameras that I have had issues with and I've had to throw out, you know, a year in or two years in. And, and honestly, I just, I'm not, I'm a cheap guy. So I always go and buy, you know, two or three of the cheap stuff and then those all break. And then I'm like, okay, I splurge. And then in the long run, I usually spend more money. So buy once, cry once. I need to start, you know, doing that more, I guess. But, um, Yes, right now you can you can go there and buy anything in their store. Also, if you're not familiar with their Exodus Advantage, let me just tell you these three things. Five-year no BS warranty, five-year theft and damage coverage, and best-in-class customer service. I've said it a lot, a lot. I'm a customer service guy. So now's the time to experience the Exodus Render. Do yourself a favor. Start running the most dependable Exodus Render cell camera. Uh, over the last seven years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality products that flat out work. And now they're very excited to announce a new limited product offering for archery hunters. But, uh-huh, yeah, you're going to have to figure out what it is. And you want to know how you do that? You go to Exodus website and you sign up for their newsletter to learn the details. All right. So go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com, sign up for their newsletter. Also, don't forget, use year seven to save some money on a new camera or some merch, go do that right now. Also, Helix Broadheads, is their workhorse? I mean, there's a lot to say about them, let's be honest. But, I mean, every week, I'm, they're just badass. They work. They're workhorses. There's no frills, no frails. They're, they're single bevel, fixed blade broadheads that hit you like a Mack truck. They make you bleed, and they ultimately put animals down quick. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Single bevel, 125 grain is what I use. They've got a broadhead for all shapes and sizes. So go check them out, helixbroadheads.com. Lastly, Friday, I did a podcast about my arrow setup this year, Vector Custom Arrows. So go back. If you haven't listened to Friday's podcast, go back and listen to that podcast. And I break down my two arrow setups from this year, what I'm running, the weights, the components, all that kind of stuff. These things are awesome. I've got a code for you. Use FALL. 10 at checkout to save money. So go to their website, vectorcustomshop.com. Go to their arrow builder. Up top left, there's three little bars that say menu. Go to arrow builds, click on HMR or ZMR. And then you go in there and you click if you want a dozen or a half dozen. Put your bow brand in, your draw weight, your point weight. So whatever you're running for a broadhead, your bow model, your draw length, and what you want for your vein selection. It'll kick you out your FOC and your total weight. That in turn, when you order it, you're going to go and you're going to say add to cart. You're going to click that to pay and you're going to see where you can put in a code. You're going to put in fall 10 to save you money. And then you're going to hit submit by order. It's going to kick it to vector. They're going to build those arrows in Wisconsin for you. And then they're going to ship. You're going to have them within two weeks or less. So go do that now. Don't wait. Do it now. So there it is. Uh, I'm As we speak, I am in Saskatchewan on a bear hunt right now. So yeah, that's what we're doing. And you guys will hear more about that when I get back. But uh, you guys, I hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. Heath Cisco is the man. Um Lastly, before we do get into the interview, go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, leave a written review, go to Spotify, do the same. That'd be greatly appreciated. So thank you guys very much. Here's this intro in, well, here's this interview with Heath. Hopefully you guys have a great week. 
All right, welcome back for another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today I have a guest on that uh, I've referred to him in some other podcasts as my spirit animal. And he is uh, a guy that I've looked up to probably more than just about anybody in the hunting space, Mr. Heath Cisco. Heath, thanks for coming on again, man. Aaron, thanks for having me. And uh, you give me too much credit. I'm just a guy <laughs> like you trying to learn and uh, pick up things from other people and apply them. So. Heck yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out to do this. And I know you're always welcome to, you know, you're always up for recording a podcast and I'm forever grateful for that because you've got, uh, whether you think so or not, you've got a lot of, uh, knowledge up in that brain that I like to try to pluck out. And I know a lot of my listeners really like listening to you. And, and honestly, if I had any gripe or if I'm going to be any selfish about it at all, I kind of wish you would film more of your stuff and put it out on a YouTube channel more so I could see it more. (laughs) Well, you know, I thought about that. My friend Justin Hollinsworth is doing a little bit of Instagram stories and uh, basically laying out what he's doing uh, at all times of the year. And another one of my friend, uh, Ryan uh, Getsky or whatever, uh, he uh, he's doing the same. So I may get into doing that. That's pretty interesting. So I like that. And you just, you just made, you know, brought up two names that I am, I love those guys, Hollinsworth and Glitzky. And, you know, I put Pottinger in there as well. I talk about these guys, all you guys a lot because you're the, you're the dudes that I look at. Like if I need something like some, like a pick me up, or if I need to learn something or whatever, like I look at the stuff that you guys are doing and it's, you know, and I try to strive for what you're doing and I eventually want to get to the point where you guys are at. That's, that's my goal. So I'm, I'm, that's why I need to keep picking all yours brains. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I appreciate it very much. And especially when you, uh, uh, you know, give me a little bit of credit in your podcast and stuff. But like I said, what you're doing, uh, is getting more information out there. Uh, you're learning, uh, we're learning off of you. We're learning off your other guys you're having on there. And, you know, it's just uh, applying that stuff in the fall and it's uh, days, time, and years in the timber. Yeah. And just uh, trying to go in with an open mind and pick things up and uh, and do what works for you. For sure. For sure. Well, I guess with that being said, let's, uh, let's, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and kind of let everybody know what, what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, I reached out to you not too long ago through text. We were bullshitting and I said, Hey, you know, is there something that you particularly want to talk about? And you brought up the fact of, you know, want to talk about pursuing a particular buck during the rut and failing at it and the failures that come with it, the ups and downs, because last year you did that. You, you, you targeted a specific buck and you failed at it. And I was like, yes, that is, that is what I'm about. Like, I want to learn, you know, hunting a specific buck is, is hard and it's a mental grind. Like it, it, and it, it, I've tried to do it before and it just, it kicks my ass, man. And it takes a powerful human being to be able to like this buck or nothing, you know what I mean? And then when you throw in the factors of the rut, it's a crapshoot. Like who knows? You you got to be on yes. your game. So yes, I want that to be like the 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 main focus. But then I want to get into, you know, you prefer to hunt early and late, and I want to get into why you prefer that. So if you're good with that, um, I say we do it. Sure. So do you want to start out uh, why we hunt early and late, or just start right into uh, 
a hunting the rut and uh, the failure I had this past year. Let's get into the failure. Let's let's uh, rip the Band-Aid right off <laughs> and do the failure. And, Sounds good. Uh, let's get into that story, and then we'll kind of we'll uh, we'll end it with you know the whys you like the early and late. So let's let's do that. Like, give us the front story sure. on like this buck that you were chasing and and kind of when it all started. Sure. So, I mean, as always, I learn more from my failures than I do from my successes, it seems like. And, uh, and the failures you can remember a lot more than some of the successes and things you have. So my season this year started a little later than normal. I hunted a couple days in October in Ohio, but my daughters were in cross country, so I wasn't able to get out. They had meets every weekend and, uh, I wasn't able to get out very much. So, uh, my out of state hunt, uh, this year was to Illinois and, I usually get out there around the 4th uh, to hunt. If I don't get out there, you know, Halloween weekend, I get out there on the 4th. But this year, I didn't make it out till about the 9th. And I was going in, I can't say blind, because uh, me and a friend of mine, uh, Justin Hollingsworth, had been running cameras, so we had numerous bucks on camera. And one particular buck we had on camera that we called the split G2 buck, and it was the biggest buck we had on camera uh, that was still around on the farm, so I decided and dedicated my November hunt to it, uh, unless something else showed up. So starting on the 8th or 9th, I think, is what really kicked my butt, because I'm usually on the 4th through the 6th, the 7th, something like that. The deer are really moving, following does, uh, looking for does. Uh, they're real active. And then you start getting in towards the 8th, 9th, 10th, uh, a lot of the bigger ones will hook up with a doe and, and, you know, they won't move very much. But the problem I ran into is when I got out there, I got onto this buck quick. I was able to uh, see him come out into a field pretty early in my hunt. And uh, he come out into a field and I'm like, okay, he's living over here. Um, this is what he's doing. So I set up to, uh, for a morning hunt the next morning and I didn't see him, but I seen another decent buck. And then I tore down, I went and scouted some, uh, you know, and in the rut, you're, the sign is, it's good to see sign, but the sign really doesn't mean much because right. the buck that you're hunting, he has no clue what he's going to do the next day, mm-hmm. let alone you trying to uh, figure it out. So, you know, it's mainly hunting uh, funnels and, you know, travel corridors. But when you're hunting one particular buck, a lot of times when they're older and mature class um, or age class, they'll they'll still stay in small little areas and small little doe groups they'll target. So you got to kind of try to find that doe group that he's after. And I tried to do that. I hunted in one spot. He would come out in another. And then I would hunt over there in the evening where I seen him come out and he would come out in another spot. It was just so inconsistent. It was frustrating. No matter how well I read the sign, no matter how well I set up my stands, it was never in the right spot. It was always off. I was always in this section of timber. He would come out in the other section. There was no consistency. So, so when you find, when you're in a situation like that, you know, especially in the rut, you're in November, you're the second week of November. I mean, first of all, you got to be thinking lockdowns here or it's coming. Like you're getting, like, I feel like, you know, within a 24 hour span, bucks can go on lockdown so quick you know and it could be even quicker than it It could be like a 12-hour span it could be during the day like but like you got to be thinking that but also when you're when you're jiving and when he's jiving and you can't get a step ahead of him 
Like, what are you doing? Are you literally to the point where you're like, I got to stay with my funnels. I got to stay where I know these does are probably going to be. Or are you like basically throwing caution to the wind and just like, I'm diving in here and I'm going for broke. I I just got to try something different. Well, when you start out, you kind of try to, I can't say tiptoe around, but be safe, play it safe. And then after a while, you just got to dive in and go for it. So basically what I did, I played it safe the first couple days. I was seeing him, but it wasn't consistent in where he was coming through. I mean, I had a block of timber and he would come through high one day and he would come through low the next day. And it's just, it was so inconsistent. And then he would come from the north one day and then in the evening. And then the next evening he would come from the south into this field where he was uh, checking out does every evening. So it gets really frustrating and, and all your skill and everything you've learned over the years and you apply it trying to read the sign and stuff, you can basically throw it out the window. Sure. Uh, you just got to kind of hunt the wind the best you can and get in the spots that is most likely travel corridor for him. And that's what I end up doing. And I finally, a little bit of consistency was he was coming to this one field almost every evening and he was coming through this one area almost every day around one o'clock. And I tried to play that, uh, to where I would be on that field in different spots each evening. And then I would be in that one area around midday and I never was able to catch up with him because the tight little spot he was coming through, I needed a certain wind. And it seems like when I didn't hunt it because the wind was a little off, I would get a picture of him. And in the same way in the evening when I was hunting the uh, cornfield he was coming out to, it was never consistent. He never come out at the same place twice. Really? And it was just so frustrating. It was so frustrating. And I had uh, – Numerous other bucks, and you'll see it in my video for, uh, you know, Whitetail Addictions this uh, summer. I had numerous other decent, really good deer come through, but I could never get on him. And the one time, it was on the 15th of November, I dove into an area that I knew that he stayed in a lot in the mornings. He was in that area in the mornings, and I dove in there, had a stand hung from the day before where I scouted. I dove in there the next morning, and it was in a, I was in a big tree bigger tree than I normally like to hunt because it's just hard to get a stand in and stuff like that because the straps, you know, it, you got to use an extra strap and all this stuff to get yep. your sticks on and get up in a tree. And I got up in the tree and, uh, and I had from scouting, I thought this is, he's coming down through here. He's going to cross through here and I should have, you know, a 20, 30 yard shot. And he did exactly what I thought he was going to do, except instead of coming out in front of me, he was following the doe. And it was on the 15th around 7, 38 o'clock in the morning. He was following a doe and the doe just happened to turn and go in behind me. And he followed her and I had him come in at, like, I mean, he was like 10 feet behind my tree. Mm. And I was so pinned down, I couldn't get my camera around to him. I couldn't get turned around. I had my bow in my hand. I couldn't do anything. And then the next thing you know, the doe starts picking around and this and that. And then she, you know, instinct senses something or whatever and then him and her both take off and i don't get any footage get, get any shot and i had him at 10 feet and it was just so so disappointing because if it was a earlier season hunt where i'm hunting this thing and patterning them or whatever and reading the sign i would have known where he would have came right during the rut you just don't know what they're going to do i mean you see them in people's yards they're running out in the middle of fields 
there's just nothing consistent. It's all what, where the doe takes them. And it's just frustrating. Now, if I was hunting just a buck, a good quality buck in the, on this farm I was hunting or wherever, um, you just set in these funnels and pinch points, hunt doe groups, and, uh, you know, wait on your opportunity to happen. But when you're hunting one particular buck, it's just, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because you don't know if, when that thing's going to get on a doe and just go across two farms mm-hmm. and never be on your farm. Sure. And you could be hunting a ghost. Yep. And that's what ended up happening. Uh, I ended up seeing him on the 15th in the morning the 16th in the evening and never seen him again. He disappeared and we never got another picture of him. Uh, never seen him rest of the season, never found any sheds. I don't know what happened to him. Just disappeared off face of the earth. So when you're in battle with, with a deer like this, <clears throat> I'm going to call I'm going to call it you're in battle with him. Cause basically you are, I mean, you're, <clears throat> you're trying to, you're trying to get him like in, you know, and when you're doing this, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're hunting mornings, are are you try? Do you have a set of rules of like, even though it's the rut that you're trying to kind of stick by? Like, are you hunting in the thick timber in the mornings and moving to the food at night, or is it? I know it's probably situational based, but like, do you have a a set of rules or or standards that you go by when you're when you're in the battle with with a with a deer like this, like? I know you're trying to figure out where he's at and try to stay one step ahead of him, but like as a general generality, like are you are you not hunting field edges in the morning? Like, are you trying to stay in the timber? Like, what are you doing? So it's it's well, like you said, it's all situational. But in in this situation uh, with him, I kind of knew, uh, you, you know, I thought I knew where he was in the morning, and then I I knew kind of where he had been at midday. And then I knew where he was coming out in the evening. So I was basically at some times I was hunting three different trees in one day. Really? Uh, so I would hunt, I would hunt in the morning back in the timber, but it, I'd hunt back in the timber some. And then some mornings I would be out on the edge of a field trying to catch the movement going back in. Mm-hmm. And he was, cro- he was crossing an open area. So um, I was trying to catch him there as well. But then I would hunt till around <clears> 10 30. Then I would get down and I would go jump in a tree where i knew he was coming through midday and i would hunt it for a little bit and then i would jump down about two o'clock and go push out to the edge of a field and hunt another tree where he's coming out into that's crazy i've I've never actually i've never actually done that so now like when you're when you're jumping into a tree midday like how long do you give it like when you're like ah you know i should probably i should probably move again like I feel like I'd have an internal battle with myself of like, well, he could run by at any moment. You know what I mean? Like, why don't I just yes. stick it out here? So like, how do you fight that guy on your shoulder? Like stay here or, or go to a different spot. Uh, in normal cases during the rut, I would have an area back in, uh, back in the timber, uh, in either a funnel or along the edge of a doe bedding area. And I would get in there early in the morning and I would stick it out there till around one thirty. Around 1.30, I would, it depends on what the movement is, but usually, you know, the movement picks up a little bit at noon then starts dying out towards 1.30 and everything starts moving instead of back towards the bedding area. They're moving out and away from the bedding area headed to the feeding, the feeding fields. So then what I would do is I would jump down out of there around 1.30. I would loop around and have a, uh, already a predetermined evening spot along the field edge. Mm-hmm. And I would spend the rest of the evening there. And I found that I was more productive that way in normal rut situations where I'm just hunting 
let's say usually a particular deer or a deer uh not a particular deer where i'm hunting just a just a, any good buck right and in this case i knew this buck was spending time in this one area in the morning but then he would shift midday and go to the other area uh through an uh, through an area uh, a funnel situation around one o'clock 12 to one o'clock and then come out the timber on the other end out into the field in the evening so i was trying to put myself in the best spots at the best opportune time and that's why i was shifting um, a lot of days three different stands now when you would shift midday are you like in this situation were you kind of getting more on like like the downwind side of some bedding areas where you really trying to pick out, you know, those specific areas where you feel like he might've been kind of, I know you knew you figured you knew where he was at, but was that like on the downwind side of some thicker bedding areas thinking he's going to be coming through trying to scent check some doe areas? Like how did you figure that out? And like, what was that area like? <clears throat> so in the mornings, that's what I was basically trying to do. Uh, in the midday, he was moving through a spot that was just in between doe bedding areas, and it kind of okay. pinched the area down, and it was a little open in there, so I could see a good way, so I could kind of tell when he'd come through or whatever. <clears throat> but yes, I like hunting uh, on the downwind side of a bedding area, meaning uh, basically uh, not his bedding area, you know, particularly, right. where he's bedded that most of the time through October, let's say, if I knew where that was. In this case, I didn't. Uh, but I just kind of, you know, there's fam if he's hanging out in this section of timber, uh, where are the family doe groups at? Where are they bedding at? And then I like to get off of that a little bit without interfering with them and blowing them out of there and kind of hang back. And it's just basically travel corridors where, um, you know, it's, it's funny how you'll have a block of timber and almost every buck goes through a certain area in that timber when they're searching for doe. Uh, so you kind of, you get a one hunt in and you kind of suspect where you think it's happening mm -hmm. and then you adjust after that hunt if you don't hit it right. Okay. Or, or if you start seeing the movement, you know, up 50 yards to 150 yards or something like that, you just adjust to it. And that's why you need to just be able to tear down your stand and move it quick. Sure. Yeah. And, um, when you're getting, when you're, and like I said, situational based, I get that. But like, as a general rule in your head, when you're sitting on these like the downwind side of these side of these bedding areas these doe family bedding areas where you suspect they are like how tight are you getting in like to the edge of that like as a general rule i mean i get it like you know if if you've got a thicker area where you can get a little tighter i get that but like as a general rule like how tight are you trying to get so a general rule, I just try to, I mean, it depends on what the lay of the land is. If right. the lay of the land is they're bedded on this little flat where the ridge drops over, well, I try to get around on the rim <clears throat> and maybe uh, where it's on the edge of it. And this, let's say not necessarily on the complete downwind side of it, but off to the side of that. Um, and sometimes I'm right in the middle of it and they're bedding all around me. Other times uh, I'm back off of it and towards, let's say, a ditch funnel or something like that where they're coming around through there. Okay. And I may hunt at one time. And the main thing is if you're, if you're hunting a doe bedding uh, group, um, you, you don't want to disturb them because if they pick you off and if your tree's in a really good spot and they pick you off, they're going to, they're going to check that. I mean, they're going to, 
pick you off. They're going to start vacating and moving on as well. So you want to kind of stay back and be able to, I like being in a spot where I can hunt it and still be able to get down and get out of there without disturbing them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If they're bedded just right over a little bit of a rise or something like that, that way, uh, you know, when I get down on the ground, I can sneak out of there and, you know, leave a stand in that spot if it's a good spot or if I hunt it and I just don't think it's going to happen there. Well, then if I spook them, I don't care because I'm moving on. Okay. Now I'm going to try to explain this scenario a little bit here. Every time I try to get on like, on the downwind side of a bedding area or something like that, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm walking in and I'm, I'm trying to decipher things like figure out like, okay, how close can I get? Like without spooking the does, that's one thing. But like when you find a tree and you get up and then you start seeing bucks working through and patrolling downwind, do you see any patterns as far as like how close bucks actually get to like the edge of the bedding? Like, are they normally sitting out 50 yards? Are they right on the edge? Or is it like just a crapshoot? You don't know. Or have you seen a pattern where it's like, man, it's that 50 to 70 yards. They stay off that edge just about every time. Like, do you see that at all? I I can't. Every situation is different. I can't say that I see a, a, a set pattern because I've been in some bedding areas to where, yeah, it is 50 yards down below, just over the rim. They're catching all that scent around through there. They're able to cut their track if they can't smell them. Uh, and then also, I've just seen them come busting through there like mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, like a beagle dog looking for a rabbit, and just bust through there and and just start jumping everything and driving them everywhere. Um, yep. And then other ones just kind of set back. They don't even have to get close to it. They just need to be downwind of it, downwind of it, and they may be fifty to hundred yards. But you know, you set back and you observe, what, and you adjust to what you're seeing. Yeah, you get in there and you adjust to what you're seeing. But what you don't want to do during the rut is, uh, I can't say you, you, you don't want to be too, um, I guess, um, afraid of blowing up a a bedding area either, because more than likely you're only going to get one or two hunts in there and then you're moving on somewhere else. Right. If it's, if it's an area that you, this is your do or die spot, then you got to play it sparingly. But I like getting in there and making sure that if it does happen, I can get it done. Um, <clears throat> and then if I do spook a couple, then I'm moving on to the next one anyways. Right. So are you more of like you personally, are you going to like err on the side of caution as far as not wanting to spook the does? Is that what you kind of go into every situation like that? You got to think uh, when I'm during the rut, when I go in and set up in a spot, I kind of, I mean, you want to be able to, you got to have these does pass by you. Right. Uh, you got to be able to get them by you. So you got to set up according to that. And, you know, it depends on, it depends on the different situation and what the weather is going to be. If it's going to be a high pressure day the following day and, you know, that no wind and high pressure, well, heck, I can about do whatever I want because my sense going to be going up and I can get away with murder. If it's going to be overcast and stuff like that, you know, what's going to happen? Where's my scent going to fall? <clears throat> Is it going to fall to the does that's coming in there with maybe the buck following them? <clears throat> I don't know. You got to figure that out. And like I said, each situation is different. Each lay of land is different. Man, that's that's high level stuff <laughs> right there. Like that's, you know, that's, and that I'll be totally honest with you, that's, that's, you saying that about like the high pressure system coming the next day and, and thermals going up and stuff like that. Like that's, that's where I'm trying to get to that point. Like 
I think of a, I'll think about a lot of things, but I don't really take that in, add it, that into consideration every time. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I, I, I it's really easy to get blinders on w- when you're in season. Like, and I hear that from a lot of hunters. It's like, you know, I think that's why hunters are looking for that black and white answer. Like this plus this equals big buck is because when you get into season, like everything now, when you think about it and you have time to think about it, I feel like it's more clear. But then when you get into season, it's like, you're like, you're tense. You're like rushing all the time. I have blinders on. It's this, it's really hard to take a step back and be like, I really got to think about this before I take a step. Does that make sense? Does that, do you ever get that? Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, as time goes on, you'll probably calm down a little bit in those certain situations, or at least you got to work your mind to calm down. It's like a quarterback going into a football game. Is he going to see the field at a fast pace or is he going to be able to slow it down and make the proper calls? Right. You got to do the same as in hunting. Yep. Because, and every situation is different. And, you know, you can look at today and this is where you need to be. And tomorrow with a different weather change, different, you know, forecasts and stuff like that, you may need to, hunting the same area, you may need to adjust completely to a different spot in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I just, I was just on a podcast with uh, Jeremy Densmore and and his co-host Dimitri. It's the Antler Up podcast. And they had me on and they asked me, I can't remember specifically what the question was, but it was about, you know, I I brought up the fact of like, you know, being able to adapt and like taking a step back from the situation before you go busting in there and really trying to think A to Z, like every situation. And I, I honestly think like the guys like you and Troy and Hollinsworth and Glitzky, like those guys are, you guys are thinking about all of that. Like but you think about it, like you guys are older than me. You guys have a lot more experiences than me, you know, and you've been in a lot of different situations. And I think it's just part of that maturity as a hunter. You'll get to that point, you know, but it just might take a little bit of time to get there. And it's all with experiences. I really think so. Yeah, it's it's definitely from experience and then <clears throat> having bad situations. You know, have you ever got up in a tree in the morning and think, oh, I've got this wind. This is what it's going to do, this and that. And all of a sudden, it's different. Oh yeah, because of the weather situation or something like that. Or you get into a spot; it looked great when you scouted. That's where you needed to be. You thought, and then you see something happen over there, and you're like, "Well, why did that happen over there?" Then after it happens, you go over and look. Well, this is why it happened. Right? Man, I should have went another twenty yards, and I would have seen that. I would have been able to adjust to that. And each situation, each stand setup. And that's what makes it great when you're mobile and you're moving around hunting all the time. You're always in a different situation and you get to analyze it and then see how the deer react to it and what they do and how they traverse through the terrain. And you just learn more and more. If you're just hunting in one stand and you're seeing the same action or the same movement every time, you're not learning much. You're just waiting for an opportunity and, you know, your skill has already ended. I mean, you're just setting their hunting now. But if you're adjusting, moving all the time and having new sets, you learn each individual time and you'll screw up a bunch, but then you'll start getting in a little bit of rhythm and things will start falling in place for you. Yeah. You know, and that's a good point because like being mobile is, 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 I look back at, uh, my last five or six years in the, in the deer that I've been able to take. And I, when I really break down, like 
being mobile and the fact of like maybe moving a stand a hundred yards or going in with a stand on my back, you know, in the first set in, I've killed my biggest bucks in the last five years being mobile like that. Now it could be taking a stand into my back, like I said, or it could be I sat here for three days and needed to get down this drainage ditch a hundred yards, waited for the wind to switch, finally got the opportunity, went and hung it and killed them that night or the next day. Like it's happened that way, you know, and that's still being mobile to me. And Oh, absolutely. You know, and there's something to be said with that. So like, and when I talk about being like maturing as a hunter, I've got a couple of friends that give me so much shit because I'll get in like last year, I got into a stand and the wind was perfect for two hours. This is an evening hunt for two hours. I've got 30 minutes left of light. Okay. Where I can shoot the wind totally switches and I'm hunting a pinch point. Okay. And the wind switches and it's blowing right at that pinch. And I got down and left with in, in, in the prime time, you know what I mean? And sure. I'll send my buddies a text and I'm in the truck, you know, and they're still in the tree and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I literally, I'm hunting this deer coming to this pinch. If he gets in this pinch, I can't get an arrow in him before he gets to my wind. That's just how the pinch was set up. I have no other choice. And they're like, you're crazy. And I'm like, sorry, man, that's just how I feel. And honestly, that is like maturing as a hunter, you know, and I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back, but like, that's how I judge those situations. Does that make sense? Absolutely. hundred percent. Uh, and in my, uh, you know, my opinion, you're making the, you're making the right decision. If you want to kill that buck in that pinch and you're hunting it and the wind switches and it's wrong, you need to get your butt out of there or be able to jump to the other side of that pinch to catch him. Right. You know what I mean? To have two stands with it. Uh, people may think you're crazy if you only hunt 30 minutes, you know, maybe you can only get out 30 minutes in the morning and then you got to go to work or maybe you can only get out 30 minutes in the evening. Uh, that 30 minutes could be the best 30 minutes you've ever spent on stand. Um, I've hunted areas or spots, uh, you know, like thermal hubs that's in the bottom of a valleys or whatever with a, a scrape and you can't hunt it. The wind's always wrong for you. Well, what I would do is get the wind where it's coming down the valley and going across and, I would have a pre-hung stand there and I'll jump down there and only get a half an hour hunt in the evening yep. because, uh, I, because I don't want my wind just swirling everywhere and getting to everything. So I'll give it a half an hour hunt before that happens. Cause if not, I just set on a ridge, you know, 200 yards away and can watch it and I can't hunt it. So I get down there and take a, take a shot and do the best I can for that half an hour. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well then I move on and you know, it's, it's, I mean, nothing lost, nothing gained, but it could be a lot gained if you if you kill one. Right. You know, in last year, I did something that I've never done. I I did it for I did it two days, and I would take my daughter to school in the morning because my wife's a nurse and she she works you know three on twelve hour shifts. So um, basically, I'm on daddy duty for three days, and you know I got to pick my daughter up at three in the afternoon, so that kind of blows the evening hunt. And then the morning I get, she's got to be at school at eight. So that blows the morning hunt. So for two days, I would either drive around and scout in farm country and, or there's two days that I would drop her off. I would drive around her a little bit. And this was on November, uh, it was on October 31st and November 1st, I got into a stand at like 10 o'clock in the morning and hunted till noon, one o'clock. 
and I would get sure. out. And that was my hunt for the day because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have the hunt in the morning and I couldn't get the hunt in the evening, but I'm like, you know what? Like that, la- that last part of October is my favorite time. And you just never know what's going to freaking mosey on through. You just don't, you know, absolutely not. And, and, you know, you can throw cameras up in these spots and just get a buck at a, a really weird time. And it's like, man, I could have been out. Even though I couldn't hunt in the morning, couldn't hunt in the evening, but I could have been out when this is happening. So you might as well go any minute sitting in, in the in the woods in a, uh, a a potential spot is better than sitting on, at home. Yeah, I will say those sits, the you know those mid morning sits that I was doing, I had. I mean, you always got to have good entry and exit, but like I feel like those mid mornings for some odd reason when where I was hunting, I'm hunting in some farm country stuff is like you got to be on top of your game like because you know bucks will take does in the most obscure places in the rut and just you know just bay them up you know what i mean like you could be walking down a a a fence row and with a little grass in it and this buck jumps up with a doe and you're like holy shit i didn't even see him there you know what i mean like they just take him out in the middle of nowhere so you really got to be on top of your game with your entry and exit and what you're doing there. Um, but I, and that was, that leads back into, uh, why I ha- I hate hunting a particular buck during the rut. Cause you don't know where he's going to be. Sure. You, you know where he's going to be or, you know, from your scouting and stuff in October and you know where he's going to be, you know, in late season, let's say December to January, because you've scouted, you've figured it out, you've ran cameras, you determine that. But during the rut, he doesn't know where he's going to be. Right. So, so how are you supposed to do that? And, you know, the great saying is uh, expectation turns to hope come November. Uh, you know, <laughs> in, in October, I expect to see my target buck. And I expect when I go in to kill my target buck. In November, I'm hoping that I see my target buck. And I'm hoping that I kill my target buck. Yeah. You know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What did you did you make that saying or who said that? Because that needs to be a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, I heard it somewhere. I did not come up with that saying. I heard it somewhere. I, I might need to put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a great I and mean, it is so true. Yeah. Yep. It is so true, and, and you know that's like this year. It was just very frustrating to me. I think I did everything right, um, but it just never worked out. I had my opportunity. I had to bucket ten feet. Uh, there's nothing that you can't ask for much more. It was just a, uh, and, and I go back and look, I went back and looked at that spot during shed season and it just, it just, it was an opportunity missed and you don't get a lot of opportunities that, uh, 
at you know uh, Boone and Crockett class bucks, and I missed out on it. And and, uh, and you know I didn't feel I didn't feel my Illinois tag. Um, you know, does it discourage me and me not want to go back next year or whatever? No, not at all. But if I had, uh, it's just the the cards I was dealt that year, and uh, it happened. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I was able to finally come back to Ohio and fill my tag late. But um, uh, Illinois, uh, you know, kicked my butt this year, and, and I really think it was just getting out there late. If you're going to hunt November, uh, make it happen in the beginning of November or towards the end of November, because the uh, lockdown or you know uh, chase phase or whatever um, is tough if you're hunting a particular buck. Now, if you're not hunting a particular buck, get in these travel corridors or or funnel areas hunting uh, doe bedding area groups uh and you know wait on your neighbor's buck to come in or the biggest buck on the farm or whatever and just uh take what you get an opportunity at you know i could have killed several uh, good quality bucks but it wasn't the one that i was after so tell me this why do you like hunting a particular buck just in general um because it's it's me against him it's not just me against some wanderer that comes through. Now, don't get me wrong. If a wanderer comes through and he's a big enough quality, I'll shoot him. Right. But it does not mean even close to as much as uh, hunting a particular buck. And, uh, you know, it's just like a challenge. Uh, you know, he may not know he's hunting, hunt, being hunted, uh, but it's a challenge for me to try to figure it out. And when you're successful at it, uh, there's no better feeling. It's like... Uh, you know, you're playing cat and mouse or chess with this guy and you finally get an opportunity and take him and it's, there's just no better feeling. Now I've killed numerous bucks during the rut. That's just, I hadn't really seen before or didn't really know much about. It still felt good, but it's nothing like the ones that you really, uh, it really challenge you. And, uh, uh, you, uh, you, you gotta, you hunt him numerous times before you finally kill him. For sure. So now, you know, we talked about, those kind of failures and and ups and downs like like do you agree i mean it's a pretty mental mental grind in the rut chasing a, a particular buck right i mean it's absolutely it's tough it's uh it is tough and then you know um because you're and then you're out in the timber a lot too uh you know during a normal you know let's say a day's hunt you know i'll hunt in the morning for two or three hours and then i'll get down and scout a little bit and hang a stand for the following day and then have another stand out towards the field and hunt that evening. So you come in for lunch, you do this, you maybe take a nap, whatever. During the rut, it's like full bore. You're in, you're in the woods as much as possible because it can happen at any minute. And uh, it's taxing when uh, you just get frustrated. I mean, you know, I was seeing this buck, which was making it great, but it was so frustrating because it was never in the same spot. I mean, I would, I've just, I'd have been better off just to, throw a dart at the map and just go there because I had no idea where he was going to be. Yeah. Yep. I just thought of something about the mental side of things. You know, you're taking a rutcation to go out there, you know, you're on vacation, take time off work, everything like that. And I think this is something that every bow hunter goes through. And, and it, it kind of goes back to like how I talk about how you have blinders on sometimes and like your tunnel vision. How do you, relax when you're in like because the grind is crazy i i mean i've done it every fall for the last at least 10 years because you know i travel to hunt but i also travel to film so 
even though I'm filming, I mean, we were, we are, you know, ripping stands down, move, like constantly checking the wind all day. Like, what's it going to do this afternoon? What's it going to do tomorrow morning? Where do we want to be tomorrow morning? Well, that's in 24 hours. Like, but you're yeah. always trying to stay like your, your mind is just moving so much. Like, how do you relax and try to compartmentalize every decision and every thought that goes through your head? So uh, that's a great question. And uh, you, just, you know, my wife used to say, well, why are you so tired? You just sit in a tree all day. Well, you're on pins and needles the whole day. And it, it, it's like I'd rather perform work. You know, I'm not as tired as if I work all day than if I sit in a stand all day. Right. Uh, just because you're so tense uh, everything's on your mind. You would think you'd be able to drift off and think about other things, but you can't, you're always thinking about your next move and, and you can get caught up in that. And next thing you know, a week's hunt has went by and you're so stressed out. You don't even know what to do. And you know, you're, it's going from, you know, being, you know, being able to have encounters and stuff in the beginning, by the time you get towards the end of the week, you're just burnt out and you're making bad decisions. Right. You're hanging bad sets. You're hunting in bad areas. You're hunting bad winds. You're not taking care of your clothing and your hygiene, you know, and, and your scent. Not, sh- not shooting your bow when you should yeah, probably shoot shooting your, your bow. bow. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So in my opinion, and this is hard to do and I don't do it a lot, but this is the best way is to give it heck for four days and then take an evening off or take a morning off and take a small break and then give it heck for four more days. I've had more success instead of hunting like a full week, week and a half is if I hunt four days, then I take a little bit of a break. Then I go back and give her heck again for four more days. Yeah. And now does that happen? Does that happen a lot with me? No, I'm usually in there the whole uh, week, week and a half, but man alive, if, if, if it can, if really bad weather can come in and it's too bad to where I don't go out, that's a reset time. Yeah. And that man, it's a breath of fresh air to hear you say that because it's okay to take a sit off. You know what I mean? You, you know, when you go travel to hunt and let's say you, let's say you're going to an outfitter or you're, you know, you, maybe you only have seven days and you're, you're on your lease that you pay, you know, five grand for a year, but you only have seven days to hunt. I get it. Grind it out seven days if you need to. But like, I'm talking about when you just like are about ready to rip at the seams of like, you cannot figure something out and you get so frustrated like to, it's okay to take a take a sit off it, it's fine like and i think you know within a lot of internal groups mine included in, in in a lot of internal hunting groups is like you know you get a i get texts from all my buddies every morning hey you out all right what are you seeing what are you doing like you out tonight like sure and if and if you're in bed and they're out hunting you're thinking shit i should have went out hunting they're hunting like you know what i mean i get it everybody goes through that it's okay yes. to be like nope i'm freaking looking at the back sides of my eyelids right now like i needed to recharge the batteries <laughs> you know I'm yeah st- I'm still horizontal rather, in my bed. <laughs> I'd rather uh, take a, I'd rather take a day off here and there, and end up successful than pulling my hair out and not being successful. Um, like I said, a weather, a really bad weather change or something, rain, really hard pouring rain uh, that isn't going to let up in the middle of the day, as we talked before. Um, uh, it's going to rain all day and all night. Uh, it's a good time to do a reset, and then if I do. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I'm back in the timber, let's say during the rut and stuff and things aren't working out for me. 
for two or three, four days in a row. Well, I may take a morning and just uh, ride around my truck and glass the farm. Right. You know, or take an evening and ride around my truck and glass the farm. Cause, and you don't know how many times that I've picked up on one and then jumped in there after and had success. Oh yeah. But if I sat back in the timber and done my same thing I've been doing in different you know spots and not having any luck, you got to change it up. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Now, transitioning a little bit, when like if you had a perfect time to hunt, like when is your favorite time to hunt? So, my favorite time to hunt would probably be um uh late season. Uh, talking December, January, uh, after a snowstorm, if you've had, uh, you know, decent weather that wasn't real cold or whatever, and then you have a front move through and dump, uh, you know, four to six inches of snow. And then right after, uh, either right when that's coming in or right after, depends on when it drops during the day or night. Okay. Uh, but the day, at, the day after that snow quits, and if it's a high pressure day after that, it seems like I see everything I'm hunting you know, everything I'm going after. If I'm going after a particular buck, I see him. Yep. Are you on that time? Are you particularly just like hunting evenings or are you getting into a morning sit? If you have a good morning spot, that'll present like a good entry and exit. Like I know it's really difficult to hunt mornings late season, but, uh, are you just sticking to those evenings? Um, it, it depends, uh, like, you know, at home this year, I was mainly just sticking to the evenings, uh, because that's when I, uh, had figured out where, what this buck was doing in the mornings. Uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I didn't want to go in there and let's say I had a, let's say I had a Saturday to go hunt. I didn't want to go in there in the morning and possibly nudge him or move him a little bit. And then it kick off his evening pattern. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, it just depends. And if I'm out of state. Well, then, yeah, I'll hunt in the mornings, but I'll hunt. Let's say I'm, I've got this buck located down in this bottom. They're coming out to this cornfield or whatever. Well, I'll hunt him in the evening, and then I'll go to a different section on the farm and hunt in the morning just to be out, and I'll kind of set back and see what's happening and then move towards the action in the morning and do the same thing basically in the evening, though. So when let, let's talk about a hypothetical there. Let's say you're hunting a particular buck late season. You're out of state. Uh, you know that the deer that you're hunting is kind of an evening deer. You know where to hunt him in the evening, but you do want to hunt mornings and you go to a different part of the farm and you're hunting a particular buck, but you have another good shooter coming in. I mean, are you an opportunist to the point where it's like, Hey, burn the hand. I'm going to let this one fly here. Yeah. I mean, I usually have a certain set of, you know, caliber deer in my mind on what I want to take. And if, uh, and if a deer close to that caliber or at that caliber uh, comes in, I'm an opportunist in that situation. Um, would I rather, uh, it depends on if it's late season I'm hunting is what we're talking. Well then, you know, uh, sometimes a bird in hand is better than two in the bush, but, um, but you know, I, I mean, I want the buck I'm after, but I, I want a good quality buck that's mature and, you know, has the rack size that I'm looking for. Um, but you know, usually where i hunt uh, a lot of times there's only one deer on a certain farm that i'm after okay so the chances of another buck moving in it depends on late season depends on the food quality if there's a lot of food well then there's a pretty good chance but um but i'm definitely out because there could be another big one move into that uh, section of the farm so he may be bigger than the one you're after mm-hmm. so you know yeah definitely and you know i'm an opportunist at my point in my hunting journey 
you know, I'm an opportunist still. Like, I, man, if I get my heart going, like if it's a like this year in Illinois, I went into a stand that I was going after a particular deer, you know, and I was almost positive I was going to see him. And it was October 13th. It was hotter than the hinges of Haiti out. And I'm like, I knew I was tight to this deer's bedding. I, I figured I was. And then, you know, this big, heavy, 145-inch nine-pointer chocolate rat comes out. And I'm like, yep, you're mine. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, so, yeah, I just well, quickly I'll... forgot about that 100 mid or up to upper 150s, you know, 10-point. <laughs> sure. So, well, I, I want to make the statement, too, that this is where I'm at. I don't look down on somebody for doing something different or targeting a smaller deer or whatever. It's just where I'm at. I've been hunting for, I mean, I've been hunting since 1983. So I've been hunting a long time. Yeah. This is where I'm at. This is what I want. And and in certain situations, I'm going to take whatever I get an opportunity at. Other ones, I'm targeting a specific deer or a specific size. Sure. You know, that's where I'm at. You know, people need to do what they enjoy. And what's good for them? I mean, you know, if 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 it gets their blood pumping, then go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't look down on anybody. I don't care what anybody kills. I'm this is just my goals, and uh, and a lot of times I don't meet my goal, but you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to possibly change it. Now, always in the past, um, I go into the season with certain specific goals and maybe a certain buck that I want. Um, that changes as it goes through the season, but it usually doesn't change till around. Uh, about the third, second to third week of December, then my goals change. If I can't get on that buck and it's just not working out, well, then I'll go find uh, the uh, maturest buck I can find, whether it's a, you know, let's say a 130 or a 160. You know, mm-hmm. I want a mature buck. I, I, I would love to kill, uh, if you know, in January, I mean, I love hunting older age class deer, and I don't care if it's a 130. You know, I want an older age class deer to give me a run for my money and, and good weather conditions, meaning basically, um, according to my wife, bad weather conditions, but <laughs> yeah. I like it with snow and nasty weather or whatever. And that's, yep. um, that's uh, you know, I'm tickled to death with stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, in October and stuff like that, it depends on if I'm on my place or different areas around where I live or out in Illinois, then I got certain goals that I want to go after. Yep. And I don't want you to think I was like implying you were buck shaming or nothing like that. That's not what I was sure. implying at all there. No, I, I wouldn't, I was not taking it that way. I just wanted everybody else to know that, Hey, this, that isn't what I'm trying to do. And right. I know you wasn't meaning that. So. Yep. So in, you know, I've said it before and, and, and it all goes in stages and it's all relative to where you're at. Like, you know, <laughs> I just, here in Michigan, like, I'm not going to lie to you, 110-inch deer gets my blood pumping. Like, it does. And and the reason being is because I haven't killed a lot of them here. Like, you know, and and those are our top 10% of our bucks in my area. Like, if I get a 130 on camera in Michigan, like, in my, on my farms, like, Okay, that's like you probably getting a 160 or a 170 on your farms. Like that's it really is. Like sure, you and, know. And 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 everybody's got to look at that. And I think that social media makes it even 10 times worse. Oh, it does. Oh, you killed this or you killed that. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I'm in a I've got a target rich environment where I live. I live in southern Ohio. There's a lot of big deer around. There's numerous 200 class deer killed in the surrounding counties every year. I'm usually on a, you know, a 170 plus type buck, but it doesn't mean I kill it. 
Right. And, and I may kill a lot smaller deer. But, you know, some people, um, you know, like a friend of mine, Nathan Killen, he hunts in Tennessee. Well, there's not a lot of big deer. But somehow he pulls a decent one out every year. You know what I mean? Or a, good, or a really big one for the area. It's the same way with Michigan, the same way with Pennsylvania. And, you know, it's it just changes everywhere you go. And um, I, I don't know, maybe when I talk on podcasts and, some, and stuff at times, you know, me targeting certain class deer, people probably frown on because all he's got – all these, you know, all these farms, private farms to hunt and all this kinds of stuff. Well, I'm just trying to work around. Most of the places I hunt in Ohio is permission. I don't lease them. I just have permission. And uh, anybody can go get permission if they ask. Right. And, but there's a lot bigger deer there than, let's say, around your house. Yeah. Yep. No, there is for sure. And, you know, and i I, i'm not gonna lie lie to you i used to be the guy that was like bitch about the neighbor that shoots the 100 inch eight pointer on opening day rifle season it's like what do you like come on you know but like that's so terrible of me to say like and that was when i was a young dumb kid you know what i mean and and i i didn't I, i didn't take into consideration that guy could be you know stage four terminal cancer like you know what I mean? Like you didn't take any of that consideration or what's going on in his life or her life or something like that. And it's like the sooner you can get over that and the sooner you can be happy for other people, the lot better off you're going to feel about yourself and the more enjoyable the hunting and outdoor experience is going to be, you know? Um, and it, let's be honest, like I hunt, I love antlers. I love venison. Sure. I love venison. But is my family going to go, you know, are we going to go hungry the whole year if I don't kill a deer? No. We're, you know, we eat beef, we eat pork, we eat chicken, like we we eat all of that. Like my family's not content, like we're not, they're not like begging me to go kill whitetails because we need to eat. We need burger. We need, we stick. We, you know, I love antlers too. Like there's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. I don't want to say I'm Absolutely. just like, it's, it's we, part we, of the game. You know, we all go through stages as hunters. When I started out, it was anything with antlers. You know, I got to a certain point where I was mad at the neighbors for shooting a small buck or, you know, and it could have been the biggest buck of the guy's life. I would get aggravated about that. Then it would be, Oh, I, anything I shoot has to be Pope and young or better. And then you get through to where, um, man, I got to just kill one to show my buddies, you know, to, yep. I got to be on the board, you know, all that kinds of stuff. Then you get to a certain uh, stage to where you're doing it all for yourself. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're doing it for your own satisfaction and you set your own goals, but you, you don't look down on anybody, what they kill. And you just, it, it's hunting. I'm doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it for the next guy. And, you know, I wouldn't used to, I wouldn't even tell anybody what I was doing, how I was doing it or whatever. And you get to another phase to where you want to kind of share a little bit of information. I, I got a kick out of you talking about going in and hunting after, you know, at, when a rain stops, because that's what I've had a lot of success with. And look what it did for you this year. I mean, oh it, was, my gosh, it was great dude. to hear the story. Yeah. I took the, literally you had a huge hand, whether you thought of it or you thought so or not, you had a huge hand in my success this year. And I am forever thankful because of that, because the conversations that you and I have had about hunting in the rain or getting in a stand while it's raining and sitting it out. You know how many times I can tell you, Heath, this year, October 1st, October 2nd, and October 3rd, 
I was hunting behind my house. It rained all three days, okay? And I took my rain gear. I wore my rain gear to my stand, took it off after the rain stopped, an hour after the sit, and I watched my shooter buck come to 70 or 100, just over 100 yards the first night, and he showed up at 70 yards the next night. And I'm hunting a field edge on a bean field, but I'm in farm country. I'm hunting little woodlots and fence rows, so it's like, it's a real crapshoot. Like it's, you know, you, you really got to have luck on your side in that scenario. Sure. But what I'm saying is I did that. And then you go, I go to Illinois and I'll tell you what, Heath, you were in my mind the whole freaking time when that deer <laughs> showed up right after a rainstorm on cell cam. I'm like, Heath told me, I need to get in a stand. If this happens again tomorrow, I knew there was rain in the forecast the next day, the next two days. Yeah. I'm like, I'm getting in that freaking stand and I'm going to kill this buck. Just so happened another buck came out, but I killed. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, yes. And then the same thing with Ohio. Shit, there was like 48 hours of straight rain in Ohio when I went down there. And it rained all the next day or like the next morning. And I'm like, I'm going to get out there, start scouting right as the rain's stopping. And I'm going to look at all these scrapes because... I'm going to know what is hot because these scrapes are going to be kind of glazed over, you know? Yes. And whatever's hot, that's what I'm going to hunt. And I did that, go in there and shoot a freaking 170-inch 10-pointer, <laughs> you know? It's crazy. And it's crazy. like, dude, well, you, you were in my mind the whole freaking time, and I, I, I owe you big for that. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I mean – I pick, I love podcasts, uh, not just being on them. I, I love listening to them. There's so many things that I pick up off of these podcasts just by listening to hunters that maybe it's their, they've only killed a couple deer. Maybe they killed several, maybe they've killed a lot. You, there's always things that you can pick up from each individual person talking and you, you, you got a wide variety of people you choose from and have on your podcast. And I listen to every one of them because every one of them, there's something I pick up and think, huh? never thought of that yeah and, you know maybe i can apply that or maybe i'll use it in this situation and that's what all of us should be doing yep you know we're, we're picking up on everything that people talk about and it's i just enjoy listening to them when i'm out in the garage when i'm traveling i've always got a podcast on so i appreciate that man and honestly this is the best time to become like to to become a hunter or like learn to be a hunter because there's so much there's so much knowledge or knowledge or in you know info out information there. that's, that's yeah, what it is you know think about when you started back in hunting in 1983 what did you what did you do read magazines maybe that's probably it i, I did well it was my uncle my uncle uh, he there had you go. Yep. how he hunted so I, I learned from him and then after i got uh, you know probably 86 87 there was a guy that had killed like five or six big bucks in this area and i started talking to him and picking up things from him but you know it still led me down. It, it led me down a path to where okay, you only hunt the first. Uh, you only hunt like the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth of November. And if you don't kill it then, you're never going to kill it. So then that's what I did. I hunted the first week of November, and then didn't hardly hunt in October, and didn't hunt at all in late season. And then I just had to learn over time and started talking to different people, hanging around the right people, communicating with the right people, and just picking up on things and then applying it and using my what I observe in the field. And trying to build off of it. Yep. Yeah, right now is a good time to be alive and be a bow hunter or a hunter in yeah. general. 
you know you're you're absolutely right and then there's a little bit of a downside too a lot of these young kids are coming in and they're thinking they got to kill a 130 you that's know, the only downside because, to it you know yeah, what that, I mean? that is a downside and i hate that especially when i get on a podcast talking about targeting a 170 and i'm not going to shoot anything but you know that i don't want them to get the wrong message because right. that's where i'm at in my career and they need to start out shooting these small bucks, shooting yes. these six pointers, four pointers. You get a couple of them under their belt, and then start, uh, you know, maybe if they want, uh, you start raising the bar a little bit. Yep. Yeah, and you know, I you couldn't have said it better. And one of the big pieces of feedback I get from listeners on my podcast is that I get a wide variety of people on my podcast, and that is the sole reason because. I don't want to talk to the elite guy, the guy that I think is elite every week. You know why? Because there's a fraction of people that can relate to that elite guy, you know? And yes, I want to talk to the guy that like is a new bow hunter, like that just started bow hunting three years ago. And I want to talk to the guy that the light bulb just went off in his head two years ago or last year and had an unbelievable year, but he's been hunting his whole life. And, you know, I got a, I got a direct message a couple months ago and I I've referred to this on the podcast a couple times, but a guy in, in not, not, I mean, it was a big, long dissertation, but and it was awesome. It made me cry. It literally made me huh. cry because he, in, in short, he basically got out of hunting uh, early in life. He just, you know, stopped hunting. And a friend turned him on to my podcast. And he started listening to my podcast, went out and bought a bow, bought like all the stuff to go with it. I, he didn't tell me what bow or nothing like that, just bought a bow. Went out that year and killed his biggest buck because of some of the guests that I've had on my podcast taught him to be like a better hunter and he was like forever grateful and i'm like holy wow. shit like wow that's why i'm doing this that's why wow. right there you know, you're reaching a lot of people uh people enjoy your podcast um you know i'm a seasoned hunter i enjoy every one of them um i feel privileged that you have me on a few times uh you know it's it's great that you're putting out that information and people are picking it up and you're getting responses back um, there's a lot of podcasts out there, you know, some of them you can, you know, I mean, blow through other ones. You got to sit back and listen to everything or listen to them multiple times. There's a lot of information out there. So people like you are, uh, helping in my opinion, uh, the hunting uh, public, um, and new hunters coming in and, uh, continue. So, yep. I greatly appreciate that. I, I do you have a little bit of time? I got another question for you. Sure. Absolutely. I want to talk about, and you and you and I may have talked about this in a previous podcast. I've had you on a couple times, but I, I want to talk about it again because I'm 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 going to go back to something that Ryan Glitzky told me, and I've I've referred to this the last couple podcasts. Is like, you know, he talks about don't basically boil the ocean. Like, get good at like a certain phase of hunting. Like, if you want to be a good rut hunter, focus on being a good rut hunter, and then when you conquer that, go to the next. So like. I'm focusing on my weaknesses right now. And I feel like one of my weaknesses is like that first week of October. Like I really want to be successful in that week, that first week of October. It's something that I'm, I'm really trying to, to hone in on and be better at. Like, are you a big early October guy? And if so, like, 
how do you approach your October coming into that first week? So, well, it's, it's all situational. I have certain deer that, uh, that I hunt that maybe I can't find until mid October. I have other deer that I can find and locate and, uh, you know, let's say late September, early October, uh, either by cameras or just scouting. Uh, but the main thing is with early October is scouting. You've got to be on top of them. Uh, they're not, uh, maybe the first week, our first couple days, they're, they're moving a little bit farther. Um, but, uh, depends on the weather as well. Uh, they'll, they start making their core area smaller, tighter, and then you get into uh, the first couple weeks of October and they're just, they're doing a little circuit, but it's small and tiny and you got to scout and get in there and hunt the sign. Uh, but um, it's the hardest part is finding the buck yep. um, that you're after. Um, whether it's just a, any buck or if it's any buck, you just go in and you scout and you find a hot sign and you set up on it and hunt it and you give it a couple hunts and then you move on and scout and uh, hunt uh, elsewhere and try to locate another spot where they're coming out. It's all about food. So you got to scout and hunt the food. Uh, and then wherever the food is, you need to back up and try to find, you know, either where you suspect them coming from uh, bedding or you go in there and you bust them out and you determine where it's at. And then you manipulate that in your, in your next few hunts. Um, yep. But early, early season is great. Um, and especially when you get into around the 15th or 16th, you know, everybody call it the October law. Cause that's what we were all taught back when, that's what everybody wrote about. Whoever uh, whoever decided that, I want to punch right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I believed it, and I never hunted in hardly at all in October. <laughs> Same here. You know, I would, and, and it's just you know the mindset you get into, and uh, but then you know I started uh, talking to people and hanging out with people like Andre DeQuisto, and if he didn't hunt in October, like he said, he wouldn't have very many heads on the wall. Right. You know. So, and, but you gotta you gotta get in tighter. You gotta hunt the sign. You gotta hunt the fresh sign. Because they uh, move with the food, you know, and that's that's something. The last two years here, where I built my house, I'm I'm in farm country, and I get to, I literally, as I'm putting the roof on my house, I'm I'm glassing deer up this last summer, and can get a a good a bead on them. And um, coming in that like latter of or latter of September time frame this year, my dad and I were insulating my house. And we had the hopper, the insulation hopper in the garage. I didn't have garage doors on or nothing like that. And uh, my dad was in, in the house filling all the cavities of, of insulation. And I'm feeding the hopper. And you put these bales of insulation in the hopper, whatnot, and they grind them up and they send them through the hose and everything. And, you know, and all, all I'd be listening for is because I'm by the hopper, it's loud, and all I would listen for is just like a yell, like, hey, stop, you know, the cavity's full, or, you know, just like a yell. Well, yeah. you know what I would do is I I, I rigged up some paracord on my binos because I didn't want to wear my bino harness putting insulation <laughs> on because I didn't want to, like, get it stinking or nothing like that. So I took a, yeah. my backup pair of binos and I rigged up a, a piece of paracord and I just hooked them on like my, my tool belt. And what I would do is when I'd put a bale in, I would sneak out the garage in the evening (laughs) and I would be looking at deer coming across the field and figure out where they were doing. And you know how many times that hopper would run and just be insulation blown out in the inside of my house. My dad was just getting upset and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, shut it down. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for deer. I'm scouting right now. And he's like, come on, you know? 
Well, it helped because this particular deer I was after, I didn't get him killed this year, but um, there was beautiful looking eight pointer. And um, he, a couple days before October 1st, he was like doing the same thing. I mean, I had him pinpointed and he was moving a good distance. What I mean by a good distance, he was going anywhere from 700 to a thousand yards from where I suspected he was betting. And he was doing this in the daylight, like broad daylight in the bean gotcha. field. Like I could see him moving every night and I'm like, I'm going to kill this deer first night. So I got as close as I possibly, he wasn't betting on me. So I got as close as possible as I could to him. And by the time it got dark the first night, he was at a hundred yards. And then the second night he showed up at 70 yards and I'm like, you know, he beat me like that. But the third day, he disappeared. Everything disappeared. Like, so basically they're very finicky in my opinion. And now in those first three to four days of October, like you're just waiting for that shift to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. But it, and it, it could happen overnight. Like it happened to me, like it's going to happen. So I feel like in my, my instances, you have to strike while the iron's hot is, is early you know, do it. Yes, if you, if you know absolutely. what he's doing, do it. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. And you gotta, uh, you gotta go in there and make it happen and don't just sit back and think, well, he may be make it over here um, because in, in your situation, and I don't know what'll happen, but coming out to a beans and in a bean field and it's getting in October or whatever. Well, more than likely, I mean, I'm just guessing those beans were probably starting to turn a little bit yellow yep, or they, they were. were tough anyways. And there was probably an acorn tree started dropping and then them deer disappeared in a split second. And all you can do is jump in there and hunt them beans real quick. And if it doesn't happen and all those deer disappear, then you need to put, uh, you know, boots on the ground and find them acorns because they've changed food sources. And you got to go get on top of that and then strike it while it's hot and then move on to the next. It's funny you say that because the second night after he did that, the first night, the second night I moved to an acorn, like uh -huh. an, an acorn spot. And I was on a field edge. I was still on beans, but I yep. moved closer to where the acorns were. And I, I mm -hmm. cut that distance by 30 or 40 yards. And he actually came from a different location, but the wind was different and the weather was a little different. It was raining. You know what I mean? Like it rained yep. more that day and he showed up earlier. And that's my whole thing. When you're talking about the rain, it just gets deer up quick, sooner. It just yep. gets them up and gets them moving if the rain stops. Now, yes. if, if it keeps raining, the in my instances, and you can tell me to kick rocks if I'm wrong, but like in what I see, if it keeps raining, the deer don't move as early and as often. But if the rain stops, you're in the chips. Like they get up and they're like, let's go. Absolutely. Yeah, they... Uh you know, they, they don't like the rain as much as we do. I mean, they don't like it at all, and we don't like it. So um, they're going to – a lot of times, you know, it depends on the time of year. If it's early season or whatever, well, they could uh, – if it starts raining or whatever, they could just sit right there in their bed, maybe stand up and just kind of feed around within 20, 30 yards of their bed and be content and not move out across, the, you know, the timber and into a field or whatever. But if they've been laying on their butt – for almost all day and that rain breaks around three to four o'clock and the sun pops out oh my gosh it's like flipping a light switch oh it's I mean, crazy they're like us they like bright high pressure days yeah and it makes you feel good you know it makes me, uh, me feel good and it does the same i think for them because they just move better when it's like when things like that happen well and it's like today as we're recording here uh this will go live next week but um 
it rained all day here today and my daughter and my wife and I are eating supper tonight and um, my wife was just kind of feeling off. She just didn't feel the greatest or whatever and, and, and she's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, you know, the weather's been terrible. Like we got over a half inch of rain today and, and it's supposed to keep raining through the night and then we're supposed to get rain tomorrow. And I said, why don't we just, we had plans, but I'm like, why don't we just stay in, stay in, lay on the couch, watch a movie, just, you know, just hang out. You know what I mean? It, it It's just yep. weird how the clouds and the precipitation and like just makes you feel like, oh, let's just relax. You know, let's just hang out, you know. It, it's pretty much the same way with deer in my opinion, yeah. you know. And then when you got a bright sunny day, it's like, oh, I got to get out and do this in the yard, do that. And you just feel a lot better. Yep. Um, and I think the same thing happens to deer. And, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but, you know, a lot of these five, six-year-old bucks, um, you know, they uh, – they got the injuries, different things like that, arthritis in their knees and different things like that. So, you know, when, you know, older people, when it's a rain's coming in, well, your, your bones start aching and your joints start aching. Well, deer, that probably happens the same way with them. I don't right. know for sure, but you know, it could, um, I don't know. It's just, a, that's what I observed. That's what my cameras tell me. That's what I get from talking to people like you look at the success you had with it. Um, it just works and you got to go with it. No matter why it happens, you just got to roll with it. Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree more, man. Well, Hey, I'm going to be cognizant of your time and I want to, I want to keep this going. I can go for another two hours, but, uh, we'll save that for the next podcast, you know, coming into this fall. But Heath, thank you again very much. I thoroughly enjoy getting to talk to you and I'm glad that, uh, you offer up the information that you have in your head and, and uh, making everybody a, a better deer hunter. So thank you very much for coming on and doing this. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me and keep continuing what you're doing. I enjoy the content and uh, look forward to your next podcast. So. Yeah, appreciate it. Good luck this fall. And good luck to you as well.